you ever played in a band, that first time everybody played together, y'all remember that? It was like some strange version of fusion music or something from uh, all kind of stuff. You know, y'all remember that? And so I remember, uh, but what our band director would do, though, is she would play a note, a tuning note. It, it, it would be like the perfect pitch. It would be like, and then everybody would be like, the first time everybody would go, it would be like, squeak, squeak. You know, it just wouldn't tune in. And over time, as everybody gets warmed up, um, they, their, their sound becomes more closer to the tuning note. It becomes more closer and in, in, in tune, I should say, uh, with the note that's played before uh, band practice. And so worship is an opportunity to come into the presence of God to get in tune with God's spirit in the world. Amen. So we just thank God for our worship team. We thank God for uh, our sound team for putting in work, our media team, Gabby, Tim. Thank you all for the work that you do. They were scrambling this morning, y'all. We were trying to get some things together. Amen. We thank God for them, and um, thank God for you, and also for our first-time guest. Uh, my name is Anthony Smith. I'm pastor here at Mission House, and uh, we welcome you, and we're grateful that you're here today. Uh, uh, we're going to jump right into our new series that we started last week, uh, the Joshua Season, and we're talking about what it means to cultivate courage as we enter into new seasons of life, and this is what uh, this series is about. Yesterday, uh, we had a great time with our youth and some of our adults with our first run of canvassing of Operation Go. Uh, we actually went to Brenner Crossing Community down the street here, and uh, we're going to be doing this monthly. We're going to be hitting different neighborhoods around our community, uh, not to <laughs> proselytize people, uh, but to let them know, one, there's a church in this community that wants to be present in the community. And so we were asking questions like, what has impacted you in this community? Questions like, what kind of programming or what kind of work can be done in this community? Do you have any ideas? And also the question of, uh, how can we as a church, Mission House, support you in this community? And so we went to several different people, met many different people uh, in the community yesterday. And we prayed with people if they were open to that. And we also invited people to worship if they were open to that. I also want to give a shout out to Ash for uh, leading that, that initial workshop and, and canvassing uh, yesterday. It was really timely, gave us some really important wisdom uh, to keep ourselves safe and secure as we walk these communities. And so it was very important because the thing is, you just don't jump out there and do stuff. Amen. We tend to do that sometimes. We don't really think through what we're going to do before we do it. And so um, I'm grateful for the gifts in the house that we can be thoughtful and strategic in the work and mindful and prayerful in what we do. So without further ado, let's jump back into the series here. Today's going to be interesting. So we've been talking about the Joshua season. And the big idea was around a question, how do we cultivate the courage needed to enter into a new season? And, of course, uh, for the purposes of this series, and there's many different definitions of what courage is, 
Um, I just gave this one. I offered this one for this series. There's many different uh, schools of thought, uh, philosophical, theological, um, and cultural. And so I just kind of gave this general definition of courage to not make it so complicated. Is courage is moving towards something that you want to run away from. <laughs> courage is moving towards something that you want to run away from. And so last week we talked about, uh, in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, we talked about how God starts off this book of Joshua in, in the aftermath of the children of Israel leaving uh, slavery in Egypt, going through the wilderness, and they're still at the end part of the wilderness, and Moses is now dead. The last season, as we said, we are envisioning Moses in the scripture as representing a season in our life, a season from going from slavery into the wilderness. Because sometimes, if you can bear witness with this, sometimes when you're in the wilderness, you may have left some situation, you may have left some kind of slavery, but the situation may still be inside of you. The thing you left externally the circumstance that you left, the situation that you left externally, even though you may have moved geographically, guess what? It still can be inside of you. You can leave the situation, but the situation still can be inside of you. You haven't noticed how sometimes people come from circumstances and situations, uh, maybe uh, from bad decisions they made or coming around from some dangerous people or dangerous circumstances and they put them in the new place and it don't take too long for them to find a revert back to where they came from. You ever notice that? Even when it's traumatic sometimes. And so we were talking about how Moses represents that, that old season and how uh, the children of Israel had went from slavery into wilderness and how the wilderness period God literally had to kill or not kill but Allow a whole generation to die for the new generation to emerge for them to walk into the Joshua season. If you know the story very well. So the Moses season is over now. They're entering into the Joshua season. Joshua was the, uh, the, uh, the right hand of Moses. He was the representative of a, of a new season, a new generation of people that God was raising up to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. So Moses' season was a season from slavery to wilderness. The Joshua season represents a season of wilderness into the promised land. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 5. I'll be reading from the message translation. Hmm. Joshua chapter 5. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and the Canaanite kings along the seacoast heard how God had stopped the Jordan River before the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts sank. The courage drained out of them just thinking about the people of Israel. At that time, God said to Joshua, Moses, make stone knives and circumstance and, and circumcise the people of Israel a second time. So Joshua made stone knives and circumcised the people of Israel at Foreskin's Hill. 
This is why Joshua conducted the circumcision. All the males who had left Egypt, the soldiers, had died in the wilderness on the journey out of Egypt. All the people who had come out of Egypt, of course, had been circumcised. But all those born in the wilderness along the way since leaving Egypt had not been. The fact is that the people of Israel had walked through the wilderness for 40 years until the entire nation died out. Wow. All the men of military age who had come out of Egypt but had disobeyed the call of God. God vowed that these would never lay eyes on the land God had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. But their children had replaced them. These are the ones Joshua circumcised. They had never been circumcised. No one had circumcised them along the way. When they had been completed, the circumcising of the whole nation, they stayed there in the camp until they were healed. God said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. That's why the place is called the Gilgal, and it's called that to this day. Sometimes we can't move forward into new season until some things have been circumcised, until some things have been slowly, surgically removed from our lives in order to move forward. And let's continue. So the people of Israel continued to camp at Gilgal. They celebrated the Passover on the evening of the 14th day. And for those of you who may not know, the Passover in Scripture was when uh, the children of Israel, God instructed Moses to tell the children of Israel why they were in Egypt, why they were in the house of bondage. He told them to take the blood of a lamb and put, and put the blood over the doorpost. And so that when the, the angel of death came through uh, Egypt, uh, it would spare the households who had the blood on the door, and it would bring death to those who didn't have it over the door. And so that's why they called the Passover. The angel of death was going to pass over those places where the blood was. Hmm. Just a little insight there. It was almost like, if I can get a little creative with the text, because I already told y'all last week when God made a covenant with Abraham, centuries before, God told Abraham to take an animal, cut it in half, and God it was a smoking pot, right? Is that what we all decided? It was, was going to be a smoking pot, right? A flame of some kind. And so uh, 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 Abraham saw the flame go, th- go through the pieces of the animal, at like halfway in the medium point between the animal, the cut pieces. What God said, basically saying that God was saying, if I don't fulfill my promise to you, Abraham, my fate, will sh- I will share the same fate as this animal. God was saying that if I don't fulfill my promise, Abraham, I will be, I will have to end. I will have to die. I will have to self-annihilate. And I don't know about you, but I can't imagine a world without God. I actually would probably wouldn't be able to imagine because nothing would be here. And so there was blood on the ground and God passed through it and God was saying, I don't want to share the same faith as this animal right here. So you can imagine when centuries later, when the children of Israel put the doorpost, the blood on the doorpost, when God, the angel of death, was coming over, I can imagine God saying, whoop, I can't touch them. Because if I touch them, then I have to go. Because I made a promise to their forefathers that I would deliver their children out of slavery. And so if I kill them in slavery, guess what? Then I will cease to be God. Mm. 
quiet this morning. When you've been in slavery and bondage for a while, it's hard, it's often hard or difficult to imagine being somebody other than a slave or in bondage. Sometimes your, your vision is skewed, your, your heart is skewed, uh, it, it, it's, it may be damaged or broken or hurt or traumatized or wounded. Sometimes when you're in slavery and oppression, it, it affects you so deeply that you can't imagine being something other than what you have been. And so this is kind of this process that God has taken the children of Israel through from in Joshua 5. And he, and he continues and he says uh, in around verse 11, 12, and the message doesn't really give it verse by verse like the other translations do. But it says, right away the day after Passover, they started eating the produce of that country, unraised bread and roasted grain. And then no more manna. The manna stopped. As soon as they started eating grown eating food grown in the land, there was no more manna. So sometimes God will give us uh, resources or uh, just enough uh, daily bread, as they say, until we can be self-sufficient, until we can become sustaining in the mode of which God wants us to be in this world. That year they ate from the crops of Canaan. And then this. While Joshua was there near Jericho, he he looked up and saw right in front of him a man standing holding his drawn sword. Joshua stepped up to him and said, whose side are you on, ours or uh, or our enemies? He said, neither. Amen. Man, American Christians need to read this. God doesn't say, hey, I'm on your side, guy. Jesus neither Democrat nor Republican, left nor right. Definitely ain't alt-right. White nationalist, white supremacist, right? Definitely ain't that, although some people have conceived God as such. But the angel of the Lord says, uh, neither. I'm, I'm commander of God's army. I've just arrived. Joshua fell to his face and worshiped. He asked, what order does my master have for his servant? God's army commander ordered Joshua. Take your sandals off your feet. The place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did that. Then Jericho, which is this city right before, right before uh, they had to enter into the promise. And so uh, if you read the journey, one of the things they had to do was first they had to cross the Jordan. They crossed the Jordan River. And then they had to cross over uh, the Jordan to get to the other side to face Jericho. Now, in the previous passage in, 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 uh, in Joshua chapter 4, I won't read that, but there's a powerful scene there of what happens uh, when they cross over uh, the Jordan. And so uh, one of the things I'm learning is, is that in order to cross over to get to Jericho, oftentimes you got to cross over a Jordan. Now, now here's the thing about that, and I want to talk a little bit about this because... Uh, God begins to give Joshua in this passage in chapter 6 an unexpected strategy. He says this, Jericho was shut up tight as a drum because the people of Israel, no one going in, no one coming out. Because if you can imagine, they crossed over the written Jordan. They're standing before this great fortress, this walled city, this, this, this uh, powerful city. They're walled in. It's a mighty fortress, and so they're standing before it, and it's walled up tight. And God spoke to Joshua, look sharp now, 
I've already given Jericho to you, along with his king and his crack troops. Here's what you are to do. March around the city, all your soldiers. Circle the city once. Repeat this for six days. Have seven priests carry out seven ram horn trumpets in front of the chest. The chest is the Ark of the Covenant. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, the priest blowing away on the trumpets, and then a long blast on the ram's horn. When you hear that, all the people are to shout at the top of their lungs. The city wall will collapse at once. All the people are to enter, every man straight on in. Every man, woman, and child straight on in. You got to cross... Jordan before you get to Jericho. Now, this is strange because what is the overall strategy here? Now, this is one of the things that's interesting about life. If, you, if you've been a part of any kind of group or organization or just family, a group of people decide, you know, we're going to do something, we're about to do something, or even in your own personal life, uh, one of the things we know is that it's good to have a good strategy, right? No? Okay. <laughs> What's up with y'all today? <laughs> it's good to have a good strategy, right? Right? Or a bad strategy? Good. Okay. All right. <laughs> but what is a strategy, though? Because oftentimes what we do is we confuse a strategy with a tactic. See, a strategy is, is what you're going to do or what you're going to be. A tactic is how you're going to do it and with who you're going to do it with. Oftentimes people confuse that. See, the vision or goal for the people of God here, for Joshua, uh, for Israel, is to enter into the promised land. Why? Because God had promised land to his people. And so the strategy uh, for us in this passage today, what I feel like I just want to point out to you is, the strategy is to become a more courageous person, but what does courage look like in my life now? So that's the first thing you got to ask yourself is this. To have a good strategy, you got to ask yourself, what does courage look like in this season of my life right now? What does, me, what does it look like for me to be courageous and brave? And as we said last week, courageous, being courageous is not the absence of fear. But co- being courageous is learning how to do the right thing even in the presence of fear. To do the thing that you have to do even while you're shaking in your boots, even while you are shook, as we say. Everybody know shook, man, right? Right? Amen. Even while you're shook, it's about doing the right thing, even when we're shaken and we may be fearful. So strategy asks the question, what does courage look like in my life? Now, I can't really answer that for anybody in this room except for myself. But there's some situation I'm sure that you're dealing with, some issue, whether personal or external to yourself. It may be, uh, you know, school starts next week, right, um, tomorrow, actually, for many kids. And some of you are teachers, and some of you are, are students are about to enter into different grades. And, and so you may be a little nervous. You may be a little, uh, you know, anxious about entering into that. But what does it look like to you to enter into those new spaces, into this new season with courage? Some of you have just entered into new jobs, or some of you have left jobs. You unemployed. You broke. 
Somebody's entering into something or leaving something. But I have to be honest with you and tell you, sometimes, oftentimes, you got to cross the Jordan to even see the Jericho. So strategy is about to become, is, is, is strategy, the strategy is to become more a courageous person that does uh, what, asking the question, what does courage look like in this season? A tactic. See, this is when we get to the nitty gritty. This is when we get to the nuts and bolts of things. And so we have to ask ourselves this. The tactics are the specific ways you will, we will cultivate courage in our life. How will you cooperate with God in specific ways to become a more brave person? Israel had to cross the Jordan. Jordan's an interesting word in the Hebrew. It means to descend. <laughs> or as we say, go deep. You got to cross the Jordan to see the Jerichos. See, Jordan is to go down from the name of the river which flows between the countries of Jordan and Israel. The river's name in Hebrew, it literally means to descend or to flow down, to go, to go deep, uh, which is interesting because, uh, like I said before, so you got to cross the Jordan to uh, see the Jericho. And so what does that mean? Sometimes the Jericho, meaning the fortress, the obstacle that may be external to us or internal to our souls, sometimes you got to go down deep into your own life, into your life story, into your history, to be able to see more clearly what's really hindering you from entering into the promised land. Man, what's up today? You gotta, sometimes you got to go deep to see clearly. This past week we started our Church Hurt series, uh, we've been talking about religious trauma, and it caused us to begin to look at the many different ways church culture has hurt us personally, and I was recounting a, a scene, I was recounting to the group that met this Wednesday of when um, I actually wasn't hurt, but I hurt other people in church as a minister, when I was a younger minister, a part of a church that had some strange beliefs about some stuff. And so as I was sitting there recounting the story, those who were present, as I was recounting the story, I be, my body began to feel a little strange. I began to tear up. I began to choke up. And I began to realize that I still carried that with me in my body. Which causes me to say, okay, what's going on here? Sometimes you got to cross your Jordan to be able to see the strongholds or the Jerichos in your life. So sometimes you got to go deep uh, in, in a place of reflection. Uh, sometimes you got to get a therapist. You got to get a counselor. Or sometimes you got to learn how to meditate, sit in silence, uh, begin to write and journal your own story. There's a whole bunch of other strategies to get deep into your own story, in your own psyche. But the point is, is this. Sometimes, see, our culture says there's an enemy. We just jump into the fight with our weapons. But God is telling Israel, I need you to go deep first. God is telling us, 
You want to be a courageous person? You want to be brave? You want to fight against the enemy? You want to fight against injustices in the community? You want to fight against what's going on inside of you, maybe in your family situation? You want to fight for your life? You know, it was interesting yesterday, sort of a side note. Yesterday, I was like, man, people, after we walked uh, the, the, the Operation Go yesterday, and I saw all my, uh, some people on Facebook just getting ready for the fight. Mayweather and McGregor, right? Everybody knows about the fight, right? Well, you didn't miss much. And I was going to post on Facebook. I tend to get in trouble. I, was, I told Ashley, I was going to post on Facebook. Man, I see all my friends worried about the fight, but I just met a whole bunch of people fighting for their lives. The struggle is real. Well, as my friend Tim Bates, Pastor Tim Bates would say, well, so is Jesus. Right? Of course, that doesn't make the struggle less real, even by saying that. It doesn't wish it away. <laughs> but sometimes when we're in the fight, we want to go fight the Jericho. We want to go fight the walled city. We want to go fight against white supremacists. We want to go fight against the struggle and, 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 and obstacles in our own life before we cross the Jordan. How are you going to go deep? You already know the strategy. The strategy is to become a brave person, to become more courageous in the face of the obstacle, to head into the promised land. But the this tactic is to go deep. The tactic is to cross the Jordan before you get to Jericho because you don't want to have a bad tactic, right? Because we have a good strategy, right? The good strategy is to become a more courageous person. But you can also have a good strategy, but what? You can have some bad what? Tactics. Einstein said it this way, and I always mess this quote up, so somebody's going to correct me, I'm sure. Right? To keep doing the same thing over and over again. And expect different results. Right? We do that. Right? We think because... And so God will gift us, and you know, I've noticed this, God will gift us with a new resolve, right? There'll be like some new energy. God will grace us, and you know what, I'm going to do this, man. I'm going to step into a new season. But what we often do is the intention may be right, the strategy might be right to have a new kind of life, to, to, new diff, to do different things in, in a more healthy way. But what we often do is we engage in old tactics, And I love God because Israel had no choice. They had to cross the Jordan. They had to go deep. Because God's very own existence, and this is part of you guys, it's almost like God, and I can't imagine that God just worried about his own survival, right? I don't think that's the case, maybe. Maybe God's thinking about other people. If I don't survive, then nobody else is going to survive. There's something there to think about a little bit from my, from my deep folks, you know, So you got to cross Jordan before you can see your Jericho. There's some things that you can't see in your own life, in your own story, until you can go deep and see it. 
there are Jerichos in here. It ain't just about the Jericho that's out there. I'm not interested in whether or not Jericho actually existed, but what we do know, the deeper meaning there is this, that all of us in this room, we all have some kind of Jericho right here inside of us. The question is, will you cross Jordan to see it? You got to go down deep. To see the fortresses that block you from entering into the promised land. I remember, even my own story, I remember many, many moons ago, right, when I was a younger man. I don't say young man, I'm still young man, sort of. Amen. To my elders, they say I'm young. To my children, I'm an old elderly person. You know, it's like I'm 45, so I'm, I'm getting there, right? I'm almost half a century old. And, uh. You know, it's funny now, you go places now, I'm getting to the age now where my kids like, hey, don't you get to sing a, sing a citizen discount, Dad? I'm like, Negro, I'm only 45. But I can't wait. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I can't wait to get that discount, yo. Amen. <laughs> but I remember when I was younger, when I first started writing, and I remember when I was in, I, I, when I lived outside of Seattle, Washington many years ago, in the early 90s, um, outside of Seattle, Washington, I lived in uh, Silverdale, Bremerton, if anybody from there here today. And I left the military, and uh, I had no clue what I was going to do. And so I started going to a small community college up there called Olympic College. And I'll never forget it. My favorite professor, even to this day, like, he just opened my eyes to so many different things. His name was Phil Schaefer. I'll never forget this guy. And I remember... Uh, me writing reports. He's my history teacher. And I remember taking every history class from this particular professor. And I loved him because I was, you know, I was, a, I was one of those uh, Pentecostal on fire for Jesus. I'm not tired yet type of Christians, right? I, I carried my Bible where, everywhere I went. You know, I had my tracks with me. That's, that's how I started out, y'all. I was like that. You know, I was pretty wild, y'all. Y'all wouldn't have liked me about 20 years ago. Amen. I've been a dude on the corner over there. The end is near. No, I was playing. But I was pretty wild. But I loved him because he was an atheist. And so I'll never forget one time we were in class. And, and, we're, and if any of y'all know about the, the Northwest, it is not like here. <laughs> right? Like here, there's churches and Christian people, church people everywhere. Right? You, you can throw a rock and hit a church. You can throw a rock and hit a, a person who go to church or were, used to go to church or they still go to church or they go to church every now and then, right? If you throw a rock, you go hit one of them people, right? You, you, turn, you turn to the public uh, television station here, you're going to see somebody preaching with a flower pot in front of them with a chimney behind them, right? You ever seen the public stations, right? They, they be preaching in their living room or something like that. See, up there, you turn to the public station, somebody praying in front, praying to a tree, Or engaging in some kind of meditative practice or as a Buddhist or a Hindu or something. And so the culture up there where I came from, it was very not, well, I'm going to say non-religious because we had different spiritualities there. But the, the church was like in the minority, if you can imagine that. 
And so that's, that's where I come from. I come from, I became a Christian in a culture where it was literally almost post-Christian, where the church was not the dominant voice, uh, thank God in many ways. But the thing is, is that it was a different kind of culture. And so I remember uh, going to class, uh, Mr. Phil Schaefer, and I probably more one or two Christians in the class out of 30, 40 people, he definitely wasn't no Christian. He walk up in the class and, you know, he come in like this, you know. He come in front of the class, he throw out some Christian tracks. Is this the best y'all got? <laughs> but I love him because we became friends. And there would be evenings I would stay in his office for hours. We would discuss history and philosophy and thought. And he taught me how to think as a Christian and not just to accept what other people tell me, to think critically about what's being told to me. Even today, even what I'm telling you today, think critically about what I'm telling you. Just don't accept what I'm saying. You better study this stuff for yourself. But I remember in the class, though, I remember one night, i never forget this. I remember this as clear as day. He said, Anthony, you are a good writer. I was like, me? Right? Because I struggled with my own limiting beliefs about who I was. Right? I never saw myself in that light. And I would write papers, and I put all my all into it. I think I wrote better then than I do now. I think because I'm just getting older. I don't know what it is. And so I read some of my older stuff when I was young. I'm like, man, that was really good. What happened? <laughs> right? I tend to write with less clarity now than I used to. I don't know what happened. Maybe something's going on up here. But I didn't write after that. I just wrote in class for my class assignments. And then it'll be some years later that I began to just, like, I saw people started this whole thing called blogging. This is when blogging first started, right? Because I tend to be an early adopter when it comes to new stuff, right? I tend to do the stuff before everybody else do it, right? I, I tend to do the stuff people say, oh, nobody's going to get into that. Okay. I'm going to get on Facebook. And everybody was like, Facebook, that's for, like, children. I was like, no, it ain't for children. Started in Harvard, so, yeah. Uh, but anyway. I began to blog, and I just kept it to myself. I just didn't let a whole lot of people know. I began a blog called postmodernnegro.com, and it was just me, just me pouring out my thoughts about church and history and theology and the world around me, family stuff, my own internal struggle and battles with different things. And then next thing you know, I started seeing people following my blog. Then I started getting scared. Then I shut it down. Then I began to ask myself a question. Why am I so fearful to share my gifts with the world? It's because and when, I, and when I crossed my own Jordan, when I began to gain greater clarity about my own personal story, I, I struggled with worthiness. I realized that I had internalized a narrative, a story that says you are unworthy. The world don't, the world don't need to hear what you got to say because you ain't got nothing to say. You are not worthy enough to even share with the world what your gift is. And I was like, wow. And when I came to that point, I began to realize, see, and then God just convicted me like, 
this is my gift to you. It is disobedience to me. It is a sin not to share your gift with the world that I've given you. So that was one of my Jerichos, not feeling worthy. Right? And, you know, sometimes the church don't help. You know, the church say, you are a worm. You are lower than a worm. You are a sinner in the hands of an angry God. You are like filthy rags. You suck beyond suckability. The church is big on that, right? But God says you are made a little lower than the angels. That you've been crowned with glory. That you have been made in the image of God. That don't sound like suckability to me. You got to go down deep to see the fortresses that block you from entering into the promise. See, see, uh, you got three tactics when you're counting your Jericho. See, many of us in, are taking some of these tactics. You, you still care if I share a few of them? No, three. And then we'll read the passage when the walls come down, and then we'll be done. Amen. So you got three tactics that we typically take. You can stay in the wilderness and die. You can stay where you at and die. You can stay in a place of constant reflection without moving forward, without taking a step in some kind of direction or a baby step in some kind of direction. I always tell people sometimes it's okay to take baby steps, and then there's moments you got to take a step, and sometimes you got to take a leap, right? But for most of us, we have to take baby steps depending upon what kind of wilderness, what kind of slavery, what kind of bondage that we came from, and that's okay. But sometimes we just stay in the wilderness and just talk about the problem incessantly, continuously. Uh, it becomes annoying, right? You get people all the time, they talk about the problem and they just talk about the problem. And you're like, okay, at some point, we got to start talking about what it's going to look like for you to cross over. I was in the community session recently in the community around some of the voting stuff. Not in this space, some other place. And people just got talking about the problem, and I totally get it, right? We got to understand the problem. We, we got to understand why people are voting in this community. In the West End, anybody here from the West End? None of y'all from the West End? Okay, all right. Y'all know what the West End is, right? Okay, so like, there's like almost 2,700 registered voters there. Last election cycle, 200 people voted. There's 2,700 registered eligible voters on the West End. Only 200 of them folks voted. And so I spent an hour with some people, and we just kept talking about the problem. The problem, man, is this, this, and the white man, white supremacy, and uh, 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 Negro misleadership, as some people say, and, you know, the, the, you know all kind of stuff, y'all, history and all that. And I'm thinking, I'm like, okay. When is somebody going to say, so what we going to do? (laughs) 
Are we going to stay in that wilderness and die? Or is somebody going to be courageous enough to put forth some strategies and say, this is what we got to do? Let's take it back from the political to the personal, right? Just from some of us, you know, not into that political thing. That's okay. We can say this, you know, stop talking about the problem. Why do I keep doing this? Why do, and that's okay. You got to get to why you keep doing it. You got to understand the why because if you don't understand the why, the solution that you come up with may not fit with what's really going on. You may have a solution to a problem that don't even exist for you. See, the thing about solutions, solutions speak to, they are crafted, they are customized, they are unique to a specific and unique problem. What people do is they have a unique problem, but they have the wrong solution. It's like the wrong tactic for the right strategy. Or the wrong strategy for the problem. So you can stay in the wilderness and die. Or two, you can join Jericho and just accept the situation for what it is. It is what it is. Okay, sorcery, whatever will be, will be. Is to accept the situation, to accept the oppression, to just uh, Stockholm Syndrome. Y'all know what Stockholm Syndrome, some of y'all know, is when you are kidnapped, as an example, and your kidnappers are there, and they're there to kidnap you, to hold you in prison uh, against your own will, but the Stockholm Syndrome says that uh, you become, a re- you start developing a relationship and begin, begin to be more concerned about the kidnapper than your own well-being. To the point where there's instances where the police come in to get the kidnapper, and he's like, no, don't take them. get a little deeper than that, but I won't today. You can come in and accept your Jericho. You can join in. Become imprisoned in the walls of Jericho and not move forward. Or the third tactic is this. You can defeat Jericho (laughs) and enter into the promise. Let's read how this goes down. Back to Jericho chapter 6. Now, if y'all remember, God gave the instructions to march around the wall six times. Um, and then on the seventh go around, and at the, when you hear the trumpet blast, you begin to shout to the Lord. And then he also says to carry the, the chest, as it says in the message translation, but it's the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God. But I love what he says. He says, so Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and told them, take up the Ark of the Covenant, the chest of the covenant. Seven priests are to carry seven rams, horns, trumpets, leading uh, God's chest. And so you got the priests. And so this is starting to look a little weird because the people are thinking, okay, we're about to go to battle. We're about to go against an army. We're about to go against a a, a fortress. We're about to go against a mighty people. And so here we are because we already got two different reports. We got one report by a whole bunch of people said that they're too big. We can't take them. And then we had another report many years ago, but the the, the minority report that said, uh, we can take the land. And so they're probably thinking, man, we got to go fight these jokers. So you can imagine people, all right, you hear Joshua give the announcement. The first half of the announcement, he's probably saying, yo, Hey, we're about to take it over. We're about to take Jericho. God says it's ours. 
I can I see like me, I'm probably one of these people, right? Because uh, can, I, can I give you a confession? Okay, I confess. So like the night that President Trump was elected, I went and bought a whole bunch of survival books. Because I knew, it was, I remember calling Ash, Ash, you better get all your money at the bank. Because they're going to shut these banks down. People are going to start making a run on the bank. Right? And so I can imagine there's people like me, when they heard the news from Joshua, we about to go take the giants. We about to take the wall city. I can see some people like, oh, I'm going to sharpen my spears, sharpen my swords, because we're going to die. But we might as well die fighting. But I can imagine that fearful person standing before Joshua for the children of Israel. And Joshua saying, okay, all right, you know, like in normal ancient warfare, you put the dudes with the spears, the long spears up front with the shields. And then Joshua says, nah, uh, where the priest at? We're going to put the priest up front. And I can imagine somebody like, what? Them? All they do is pray and read the scriptures and sing songs. They don't, they, they don't know how to fight. So I can imagine some people saying, oh, man, we about to lose for real. <laughs> we about to all die. Man, we about to get Joshua checked on. Then he told the people, verse 7, set out, march around the city. Have the armed guard march before the chest, chest of the Lord, the chest of God. And it happened. Joshua spoke. The people moved. Seven priests with their seven ran horns, trumpets set out before God. They blew the trumpets, leading God's chest of the covenant. The armed guard marched ahead of the trumpet-blowing priests, and so the armed guard does get ahead of them. The rear guard was marching after the chest, marching and blowing their trumpets. Joshua had given orders to the people, don't shout. In fact, don't even speak, not so much as a whisper until you hear me say shout, then shout away. And so the imagery here is that they literally have to march around the wall six times and on the seventh time in total silence. This all seems so impractical. They are to parade around the city walls for six days in complete silence, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord. And on the seventh, they are told to march around in silence for the shout only when they hear the trumpet sound. That is so counterintuitive. Have y'all ever been in a situation, someone comes up, the first thing you would do is you want to shout, scream, and yell at people, right? Or you want to shout, scream, and yell at the situation. But God tells them just to march around the wall silently. Can you imagine the people in Jericho, right? What, that, what, what would that have looked like? They, you probably some people laughing, probably like, or maybe scared, like they, we, they're unpredictable. We don't know what this is. What are they doing? This is probably leaving their own imaginations. Maybe 
they were fighting each other amongst them within the wall saying, man, we got to come up with a better strategy. We got to figure out what they're doing. They seem unpredictable. Sometimes, God's people, we got to be unpredictable sometimes. Amen. Something happened in the city. Maybe it's a strategy, a strategy not to always go to the city hall and yell and scream at people. Maybe we should surprise people with something. <laughs> Shock them. Some of us got some stuff in mind. You want to hear about it? Talk to me later. We got some stuff in the, in the cooker. Y'all want to talk about it? But this has got to be weird. I, I can imagine the people even like in, in, in the marching party like, uh, okay, we're not saying anything. The priests are with us, and uh, we're silently marching around the wall. Joshua said, not so much even a whisper. He sent the chief, the chest of God, the Ark of the Covenant on its way around the city. It circled once, came back to the camp, and it stayed for the night. Joshua was up early the next morning, and the priest took up the chest of God. The seven priests carrying the seven ram's horn trumpets marched before the chest of God, marching and blowing the trumpets with the armed guard marching before and the rear guard marching after, marching and blowing of trumpets. On the second day, they again circled the city once and returned to camp, and they did this for six days. What's the point? Sometimes there's a different way to fight a battle. Maybe the way you've been fighting isn't the way you should be fighting right now. Maybe you've become too predictable in the way you've engaged in life change. Maybe it's time for you to do something different than what you've been doing. Because you've been running at the, the wall. You've been running at the enemy with shouts of praise and yelling and screaming at the enemy. You have been attacking the enemy with your own weapons. And so maybe God is saying, I just need you to circle in silence. There's something about silence. And I can only imagine that as they were circling that wall in silence, they began to notice things they hadn't noticed before. Had them been yelling and screaming and chanting and running around the church building. That wasn't the church building, but uh, funny, not funny, but a sad story. Um, apparently, that was a church that grew here locally that marched around the Dunbar Center seven times. And then a matter of short time after, was the building actually burned to the ground. Moral of the story is, church folk, don't be marching around things seven times, you won't. Amen. Because it might just fall down. Right? <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a little dark in there. So I apologize for that. But the journey uh, to courageously enter into a new season requires oftentimes a creative response. This is creative, y'all. This is creative. And so uh, we want to take Jericho by storm. 
That's our first instinct, to take things by storm, to enter into some kind of blitzkrieg, lightning war, to attack by storm. Our first instinct is that, but God tells Jericho, I mean, he tells Israel and Joshua to march in silence. And so when the seventh day came, they got up early and marched around the city the same way, but seven times. Yes, this day, they circled the city seven times, and on the seventh time around, Seven time round, the priest blew the trumpets and Joshua signaled the people, shout, God has given you the city, the city and everything in it under a holy curse and offered up to God. And it goes on. And the police, and down in verse 20, the priests blew the trumpets. When the people heard the blast of the trumpets, they gave a thunderous shout. And the wall, the wall fell at once. The people rushed straight into the city and took it. Make sure you have a silence before you start shouting. Learn how to be silent before God. Learn how to be silent with your own self so you can see more clearly before you start shouting. The journey to courage. oftentimes may begin in silence. It may begin crossing the Jordan. It may begin crossing the Jordan. Going deep. Then facing your Jericho. In silence. And then when you begin to see then you can begin to speak truth. Enter into courageously. And you may find just a little bit of courage. Sometimes all you need is just a little bit of courage. Not a whole lot. Sometimes. Sometimes God might just douse you with some stuff. Sometimes God, in my experience, is like a little drip. Just a little bit. Just bring you forward. When they were crossing the Jordan... In, in Joshua chapter 4, the Bible says that the, the river Jordan was at full flood. And I don't know about you, but it seems to me, and this could be a conspiracy sometimes with the universe. I don't know what's going on. But when I decide to walk out courageously, and it seems like the enemy is full flood. If you notice, when you go back and read that story in Joshua 4, it's when they begin to step out that the, the flood of the river begins to dry up. To the point as they begin to step out, it becomes, the river becomes literally dry land. It's almost like when you begin to step out in courage, when you begin to step out in vision, the, the, the enemy uh, begins to, the flow of the enemy begins to dry up because the enemy will send a flood of negativity, violent speech. And this might be even our own internal, the negative self-talk that we have is at full blast, is at number 10. And it's something interesting about when you begin to step out and you begin to see something different, but you can't see anything different, you, the thing can't come into a focus until you begin to step out more. And so it's interesting that, I don't know about you, but when I begin to first step out into something, it's almost like the negative self-talk, the ways I try to con myself out of getting out of it to do something different, it seems like the volume of that thing is at number 10. 
But as you step out into the river, the volume goes down. Some of y'all wait for the volume to go down before you step out. You wait for the, the opposition to get quieter before you act with courage. You wait for certain things to go away in your life before you step out in courage. But it might not happen. You got to step out anyway. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your word today, God. Thank you for teaching us. God, through your word, with uh, community present, teach us how to become more courageous people, oh God, as we enter into the promise, as we cross over our Jordans, God, as we're able to gain clarity of our Jerichos in our life, the, the walled fortresses in our own souls, God. Teach us, God, to have courage, uh, grace us, God, to be brave people in your presence, God. May we be like Joshua and Israel, God, to hear your voice, oh God, to act accordingly, God, to have that good strategy and the good tactics, oh God, that go with moving forward into your promise, God. We thank you for those who are gathered here today, Lord. We thank you for blessing them, God. We're bringing them here into our worship gathering, God. We pray continual blessing upon them, God. We thank you uh, for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Any educators here? Uh, raise your hand like teaching the school system coming up. Uh, we want to pray for y'all community. Can we pray for the teachers? Any students that are in, uh, we got, uh, you know, we got Gabby. We got all them kids in there. Amen. Is, is, are are y'all cool with us getting in a circle and praying for them? Just pray for them, the teachers and the students as we begin the school year. Is that okay with y'all? Okay. Can somebody